This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is brought to you by UBCP ACTRA, a.k.a. the Union of British Columbia Performers. UBCP is an autonomous branch of the Alliance of Canadian Cinema, Television, and Radio Artists, the national organization of professional performers working in the English language recorded media in Canada. For more information about UBCP ACTRA, visit ubcpactra.ca. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart of the Vancouver film and television industry, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Ronnie Firminger. Today, I am delighted, absolutely delighted, to welcome filmmaker and actor and editor and producer and writer, everything. He does it all. Anthony Shim to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Anthony directed, wrote, edited, produced, and acted in Rice Boy Sleeps, the staggering coming-of-age film that screens at the 2022 Vancouver International Film Festival. The film tells the story of a South Korean immigrant and single mom, So Young, who is raising her son in the Vancouver suburbs in the 1990s. So Young desperately wants to instill a sense of pride in the boy. In turn, he only wants to be considered, quote unquote, Canadian in hopes of avoiding bullying at school. As he grows older, his frustrations over knowing nothing about his father are only exacerbated when So Young introduces a surrogate patriarch, played by Anthony, into his life. A cruel twist of fate sends the pair back to South Korea, where all will be revealed about the family's history. Rice Boy Sleeps was shot in Canada and South Korea and had its world premiere at the venerable 2022 Toronto International Film Festival, where it was awarded the Platform Prize. Choi Sung Young was selected as a TIFF rising star and share her journey fellow for her breakout performance of So Young in the film. Anthony's previous feature film was Daughter which also screened at VIF and starred Friends of the Podcast, John Cassini, Tegan Vince, and Jen McLean Angus. I absolutely love Daughter. And I absolutely love Rice Boy Sleeps, although it is wholly and totally different. I love a coming-of-age story, and Rice Boy Sleeps is certainly that, both about a teen boy and the determined woman who is his mother. But it's also about the immigrant journey, and about the high cost that many immigrants pay emotionally, spiritually, physically, and culturally when striving to build their lives in Canada's so-called multicultural utopia. Anthony Shim, welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, congratulations on Rice Boy Sleeps. Um, very different from Daughter, and yet another Anthony Shim film where I'm, <laughs> you know, sobbing, screaming <laughs> on the floor at the end. There was a lot that uh, resonated with me. Um, my father, you know, uh, immigrant from India, Anil Kumar Mera, uh, he worked hard to rid himself of his accent and and to anglicize his name to make himself more palatable, you know, for white Canadians. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of pain associated with that. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of bravery too that I that I see in in your film. Thank you for putting that uh, front and center. What was the inspiration for Rice Boy Sleeps? Well, I mean, I I, I had always wanted to make a film about my personal experiences growing up as an immigrant in the suburbs of Vancouver and the Vancouver Island in the nineties. And cause I felt like 
although there were films that I could resonate with or that res- resonated with me and, and characters that I that I could point to and go like, oh, I, I can relate to that person. Mm. There was never one film that I felt like, let's put it this way. There was never a character from a movie that I could dress up for in Halloween and 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 look accurate. Oh boy, does that really does you know that I mean? really hit home? Yeah, absolutely. And and so I, you know, it, and so I felt like, you know, I, I would love to see a film that's that really accurately and honestly depicted the experiences of my own life, but also those around me that I grew up with. Um, the, the the trials and tribulations and the 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 emotional challenges um, that people go through, and so, I mean, this could have been my first film, honestly, but I felt like ooh, it would require a much bigger budget, and and I just mm-hmm. wasn't sure if I was even capable of writing and directing a movie. Um, and so, you know, because I had never made a short film or anything, like I'd never really gone to a film school. I just didn't even really know. I, need, I felt like I could do it. Mm-hmm. But, it's you know, until you actually go through that process, it's just, you know, you're just faking it, you know, and pretending, you know, telling people that you believe in yourself, you can do. Um, and so then we made Daughter. And, and you know, that was a that was a wild experience. Mm-hmm. It was it was a group of friends that really just wanted to tell the story and, and just really wanted to make a movie together. And we did that. And, and that gave me just enough confidence to really try and make a film that where I could kind of pour my heart and soul into it and, and give it a go. Mm. Um, and so, you know, throughout my twenties, I really, you know, after my dad passed away, there was a, there was a lot of self-reflection there's you know there was a lot of time spent where i was i found myself being drawn to um my background my my heritage um and i was visiting korea a lot and talking to relatives and talking to my mom quite a bit about you know our past and and then our own own cultural identities and you know it was through all those conversations that i started to you know dig deeper and dig deeper and then felt like that could be something that could carry a film mm. uh, beyond just the, the the very loose idea of making a film about you know an immigrant mother and son um that i could you know try to dig into something a little deeper and uh <laughs> yeah and was you uh, absolutely did do that. Also, I just got to say that I love that you know your uh your first film, the one that you know you kind of like got you got you into this and where you're learning everything was literally the film that was the BC gala film at the 2019 Vancouver International Film Festival like that is like just a, a staggering achievement um can you tell me the meaning of the title rice boy sleeps and I tell you, it actually started out as um, just kind of a temporary name, a placeholder title. Um, when I when I start writing a, a new script, I, I like to find an album or um, an artist whose music I can listen to. And it becomes almost kind of like, a, because sometimes I'll write multiple scripts at once. And, you know, as a day, days go by, you know, you get you bombarded with so many different things and your head gets filled with so many different things to worry about and think about. And, and so I'd like, it's like a kind of like a brainwashing, like a hypnotic way, hypnosis type of thing I do to kind of get myself in, back into that world. So I had chosen this, I was listening to this album called Rice Boy Sleeps by um, the lead singer of um, Sigur Ross. Uh, if you okay. are not familiar with the album, it's a fantastic album. And, and I, I remember I, I was listening to it and I'm like, you know, this, this music feels so of the right tone and mood as the story that I want to write. And so mm-hmm. I was listening to that album every time I would write the script and I was having a hard time finding a finding any sort of a clear direction. So then I, I thought, you know, I'll just give it a title and maybe mm-hmm. that'll help. You know, I, I've read in those, you know, writing one-on-one books, 
you know, go like, make sure you have a, a title before you start writing, you know, a, a single line of your script and mm-hmm. make sure you have, you have a, you know, a log line, all, you know, all that kind of stuff, which I never do because I, I just don't mm-hmm. work that way. And, and I thought, you know, maybe that'll help. Maybe, you know, what's his name is right for once. And so I just said, fuck it. I'll just call it rice boy sleeps and then see where that takes me. And it actually worked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just, I felt like I was writing this thing that eventually I went, oh, I should give it a proper title now. But then I got too married to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, you know, yeah. obviously then we did a title clearance and I was like, oh, wow, we can actually use that title. And so it, it just stuck. It just stuck. But I didn't answer your question. I didn't actually answer your question, which was, you know, what does it mean? Yeah. Well, I didn't really know what it meant until I finished writing the script. And, you know, a lot of people had different opinions of and thoughts and ideas about what that meant. But to me, essentially, it it has to do with, you know, this um, this word that is used in a negative sense for the boy ultimately realizing that that you know you can look at that same word and look at it in a different perspective and it's actually not an embarrassing or a derogatory term but that it's actually something that could be um a term that he could wear as a badge of honor almost mm. because of his background and his heritage um and so it's kind of like that 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 ultimate that that real identity of his that's lying dormant within him that's my theory. Yeah, I I, <laughs> I appreciate you sharing that because the the way that I read the title, mm-hmm. um, I was like, well, rice boy is like the derogatory slur, but it's like he's been sleeping, but then he wakes up, like something's awakened mm-hmm, in him. Mm-hmm. So that's what I that's what I read out of it. So I love that. I love hearing the actual story behind it. Um. Yeah, I, I I can't help but but um, watch the film and now hearing you speak and, and seeing that it's somewhat, you know, a little bit autobiographical. Uh, and also having been, I was a teenager in the 90s, so there was, there was I loved seeing the 90s uh, and, you know, being, a, being that age in the 90s represented on screen. Um, why for you was it important to set the film during that time? And... Do you see a difference, any difference at all in the journey that, you know, immigrants go through now, you know, when they come to Canada? Like if you were to set the film during this time, would it be the same kinds of the same kinds of experiences that that you think, you know, your characters would go through? I, I think. Internally, probably, yeah emotionally there's probably a lot of similarities now even now um because any you know anyone who's you know uh, uh switch uh, you know any sort of displacement at any time anywhere in the world is challenging and it's going to have its you know emotional challenges but i do think on a, there are so many differences and the reason why i thought it was so important to set it in the 90s and not today is because well it becomes a completely different movie it's a different story altogether um but a it's the era that i'm most you know it's the mm. one i lived through so i i know it the best but also the main thing i would say is the um the internet they are being uh, internet now and no internet then. You know, back then, you know, to communicate with people back home was so much more challenging. You know, you'd have to, you know, you 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 have to write letters. Yeah. And then wait like three weeks. Oh yeah, the back. quality. Of, do you remember the quality of the phone line? But there were times a day where the phone line it wouldn't be good. I remember call it. We would call India. We you know and and yeah. it, and it would have to be like on a Sunday, you know, afternoon because then the phone line was like it was you could hear it better. It was such a yeah. yeah. You're it was so expensive too. It was so, yeah. so expensive. It was like I, I remember it was like like I think it was like two dollars a minute or something. Yeah. Maybe oh. more and, and so kids these like, days don't understand yeah. what we went through. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's crazy yeah. now. Now we just FaceTime and Skype and whatever else you know, any time of the day. Yeah, you know, wherever you are, you don't even have to be in your own home. Um, but back then it was like, get, like gather around, like we're calling grandma, and then it'd be like, 
you know, three minute long calls of like, how are you? I love you. Bye. Like that's yeah. it. And anything beyond that, you'd have to write letters. Um, and so, you know, in that, it, there's, there's a certain kind of separation from your loved ones. And mm -hmm. as well as both culturally, you know, food, um, uh, music, television, any, any sort of entertainment, um, any news about what's going on, like these were really hard to come by. Mm. And so this, you, you know, a person's separation from their, well, everything they have known their entire lives is just taken away from you in such an extreme way um, that I think it created a greater challenge um, emotionally mm. and also in, in, in finding a way to uh, 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 assimilate to your new home. Mm. And so I think there's like a, the process was different, you know, like yeah. people came to Canada and in America back then, I think with knowing what, it, like just with whatever information they could find and like, you know, pamphlets and <laughs> whatever the, your, your immigrant officer would tell you about, or your friends tell you about. Um, now, you know, we we have so much information about every mm. place in the world. Um, so I just felt like, that, you know, that was a big one. But then the other thing, too, is how far Korean culture has come. In that, you know, oh, yeah. Back, yeah, back then. <laughs> so hot right now, Anthony. So hot right now. Oh, like, yeah. It's like, the popular culture, right? It's, kids it's, don't uh... get made fun of for Korean food in school anymore. Yeah. <laughs> like... Like non-Korean kids will eat Korean food, mm -hmm. you know. So, you know, uh, like when we first came to Canada, you know, we lived in Vancouver Island, and there's certain small towns that we lived in where, you know, we would meet, a, you know, a random person at a at a store or wherever, and we'd just get to talking, and they go, "Oh, where are you from?" and and we'd go, "Like we're from Korea," and they go, "Where is that?" Like they they they'd never heard of the country Korea then, Whoa. you know. So. You know, we used to always say like, oh, it's like, it's between Japan and China. We're just that little country between the two, you know, well-known countries in, in the Orient. Hmm. And, it, you know, and people called it Orientals. I was going to say, like, when you said the Orient, I like recoiled. <laughs> but that wasn't even, that wasn't even something that we thought was like a bad word. No yeah. one thought of it as that. And and it was just how people were, just how we were described. Hmm. Um you know, and so like when it comes up in my film, like people think it's like, oh, I'm trying to make some kind of statement about how racist these people are. No, I'm, they're not racist. That's what everybody said. I said that. Yeah. I said I'm Oriental when people would ask, you know, like. And so it's just so much has changed in, in what we know about Asia, Asian culture, Korean culture, um, how popular, you know, Korea, everything is now. Yeah. Um, and how well, yeah. and how we can hold on to our identity and our heritage living in a new new land without giving up the things that we love mm -hmm. you know like and yep. and i i don't know if we've i mean i personally i'm i'm still in i'm 42 years old and i'm still trying to figure out what it means to be ukrainian and indian and living in Vancouver and what I, you know, is identity. It's like, I've, I, I'm realizing it's, it's constantly, you know, in flux. Um, how, how is the experience of making this film? How did this, like, did this alter at all your own relationship to your identity, you know, sitting down and, and thinking about, you know, what you went through in the nineties um, and, you know, and the experiences of, you know, people from different generations, you know, as they are, are just trying to build lives and just get on with things, you know, in mm -hmm. this, in this, uh, uh, it's a white supremacist system, you know, but that's like, that's what Canada is set up as. It's what it was established as. Right. And um, yeah. So it's a, did, did working on this film change how you feel about things at all? Oh, I mean, this film cha it changed my life mm. in so many ways and, 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 and so many ways that are for the better. Mm. Um, yeah. I mean, 
I didn't even realize what I was kind of getting myself into when I first started writing this. I just wanted to write a fun, fun movie <laughs> that other Asian people could watch and go like, Hey, like I can relate to that. Mm. And, but then as I got, as I got deeper and deeper into this, it completely changed my relationship with my own identity, my cultural background, my family. Um, I, the, the, I would say the main thing is that I struggled a lot with trying to become, trying to fit in to Canada, trying to be Canadian. Hmm. Um, but I could never shake the feeling that I always felt like a guest here, no matter how I'm in Vancouver right now. So yeah. So like you, well, I come here and it, Vancouver's home. I, I have a, I have a deep connection and a love for this city, for this province and the people here. However, I, not because anyone has like done anything directly to me or said anything directly to me, but for, for whatever reason, I still feel like I am, I'm a, I'm a foreigner that's on this land mm -hmm. and, and, and benefiting and, and, um, from everything that this province has to offer. But I can't, yeah, but I still, while I feel that way, I go back to Korea and I and when I started to go back in my in my 20s, I thought, okay, I'm home. This is where, like, this is home for me. Mm -hmm. And yet people looked at me like I was a foreigner. People referred to me as a foreigner. I go to Korea and if, you know, a relative of mine introduces me to someone else, they don't, they don't go like, this is Anthony. They go, oh, he's, he's so-and-so from Canada. Hmm. I'm always described as like the guy from Canada and the foreigner that's visiting Korea. Yeah. I go, you know, I was born there. I was born and raised there. My, I, I was born with a Korean name. Hmm. And yet now I'm a foreigner here. I'm a foreigner there. So then I, you know, I really struggle to find like, what is my home? Do I even have one? Hmm. What is my identity? What is my nationality? My passport yeah. says Canadian, you know, but my name is Korean on the passport. My birthplace yeah. is Korean. Um, and so then I think what this film did for me was allowed me to really embrace the fact that, you know, I can call myself a, a Korean Canadian person and that although that's not what my passport says, that to me is my identity. That to me is my nationality, mm -hmm. you know, and I think we're, we're at a time now that there are so many others like myself and like you who have been here long enough. And we have our own communities mm -hmm. and we have a, a place that is, that feels like home to us here that we we can say like, no, I don't have to be one or the other. I, this is my identity. Mm -hmm. And we have our own culture now, you know, just as the Italian Americans do, just like the, the you know, the, the Irish Americans do, um, you know, Korean Canadians, Indian Canadians, Chinese Canadians, like, this is us. We're not, we're not neither. Like we're not either of those countries. And I think it's worth celebrating. I think it's, I think it's worth telling our own stories now. Um, and uh, I've, I've come, I've come to be very proud of that in these last couple of years. Um, and I don't feel I lack anything by being able to call myself a Korean Canadian. Mm. Gosh, I relate to that so deeply. Right. I absolutely, I absolutely do. And in a lot of ways, what I personally have learned recently is that it doesn't matter what anybody says. It doesn't matter, you know, because I, I, you know, especially for me being of mixed heritage, mm -hmm. you know, I've had people on both sides tell me that I can't say anything. Like I can't right. say that I'm this or that I'm, no, I can't say I'm Ukrainian, can't say that I'm Indian. And, and you know, and then that that feeling of being a guest a guest here. Uh, mm -hmm. And I was born in Montreal. So that's not even, right. <laughs> you know, but still that, that feeling. Um, and, and so for me, what I've realized is, oh, it doesn't matter. My, my, I don't talk about myself in terms of percentages or haves anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I say things like I am, my roots are fulsome and I, uh, my family comes from, 
from away. And this is where I live and exist in and where I I make my home and I belong here. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there's something so empowering in that. I wish I could go back in time and tell my dad that he can keep his accent and he doesn't have to anglicize his name and he doesn't have to, and that there's actually something to be proud of. And I wish I could go back in time to myself in elementary school and I'm bringing in, you know, samosas or pakoras in my lunch and people Mm -hmm. are making fun and be like, don't even, you don't even, you know, no. Oh, you yeah. wait 10 years. You'll be paying too yeah. much money for this stuff. Madonna, Madonna and Gwen Stefani yeah. will be putting bindis on, you know, yeah. inappropriate in our culture. Yeah. So you just wait. Um, wait so, yeah. so when you're making your film, though, are you, and I do want to talk about the process of making your film, because like there's mm-hmm. just so much there that is of interest to me. But, you know, who, who did you make this film did you make it like with an idea of your audience in mind thinking like, okay, I'm making it for myself when I was a teenager showing the kind of film that I needed to see. Am I making it for, you know, people like you, Sabrina, you know, who like feel like you're a guest or you don't belong so that, you know, you feel that you do, or are you making it for, for people who don't deal with this at all, who don't carry these kind of feelings to be like, Hey, this is what people go through. And this is the kind of stuff that they give up but the pain that they carry, um, you know, just in order to be here, like t- tell me what you the film for if that if you had an idea at all in your head of who it was for i i, I mean i try not to think about that too much just because it's it, it creates such a you know pressure and stress on the creative process but i mm. couldn't help but find myself you know thinking you know like would my mother approve of this like would she feel like this is an accurate honest depiction of this woman or mm. you know are our very close immigrant family friends mm-hmm. who we grew up with, who are to me just as much, if not more family to me than my actual blood relatives in Korea. Yeah. You know, these are the people I grew up with. These are the people I spent my holidays with. Um, these are the people who were there to witness my, you know, the, the milestones of my childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, and we all kind of went through similar challenges and so I wanted to do those people proud. I wanted those people to be able to go see the film and feel like, yeah, like that was our life. That's how we grew up. But it's not in a way of, it's not embarrassing. It's not, I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to exaggerate anything. I'm not trying to make uh, light of anything. I'm not trying to get laughs, you know. I mean, there are laughs and there are sad moments in the film, but that wasn't the intention, but it was, the intention was to, to, to showcase these real real people in the most honest heart you know way possible from from my heart mm. well you definitely accomplished that okay let's let's talk about the actual experience of making this film first of all when when did you do this when and how long did did it take i talk about the experience of actual like you know okay. production yeah i it was like we had, we were just about to premiere Daughter at Viv, and I just I couldn't get like I that process was so life changing for me. I just wanted to start making a film as quickly as possible. Yeah, and I remember telling like outside of the Van City Theater, telling my publicist Nicola, I was like, Nicola, I'm making this next film. You just wait. It's gonna be about this mother and this son, and go back to Korea, and it's gonna be awesome. Like you just wait. I'm gonna make it as soon as possible. And I started writing, and the pandemic hit. Wah, wah. And, oh man. And, but in the it was like in a way, it was like in hindsight, I go, oh, what a what a blessing that was. Because mm. I couldn't do anything else but write. And so mm. I was able to devote so much more time and, and, and focus and energy into writing. And so I wrote the script in like four months. And wow. And then we, you know, four or five months, and then we submitted submitted to Telefilm and they came on board and they were the first, you know, the domino piece to fall. And then everything else happened in succession. And we went to camera in the summer of 2021. Is it 2022 right now? It is 2022. Yes. yes time is uh, a trampoline, as I yeah. say. <laughs> oh, my concept of t- dates and time is so all over the place. Um, so yeah, we we sh- went to camera 2021 in the summertime, and we went to Korea 
pretty much this like in September last year to shoot the mm -hmm. Korea portion. And the movie gods were looking out for us on this one. Yeah. Because we dodged so many bullets and there were not once, but handful of times where we went, wow, that was a miracle that we got through, you know, that hurdle and the next one and the next one, because it was just so difficult to, to make a film that was shooting in two different countries to shoot on film, having to fly our key, you know, our lead actors, our DP, you know, from other cities and countries um, during, during a pandemic, uh, you know, having to deal with all the quarantine and. Oh, and the way, like the COVID waves as well. Yeah. Right. Because like, it, like, wasn't it just uh, about a year ago when like, you know, we were getting, starting to get a different kind of wave of, you know, different well, countries are shutting stuff down or you can't we, come, you can come. Like we were right in the middle there. We, we hit that sweet spot where productions no longer required you to, or, um, Unions, no unions, and the and, and the government no longer required productions to test everyone three times a week mm, because okay. it had we had we done that we couldn't have afforded it. The movie right. would have suffered in some major way, um, and so we didn't have to test on site on location, and we people were just getting vaccinated, and so by right. the time we went to camera. Although we couldn't ask anyone, we don't know exactly how many people were vaccinated. But from what I understand, like at least our our core team had all gotten our first doses. Right. And then we were able to go to Korea and not quarantine for two weeks because they had just dropped that. And so we yeah. just we just dodged so many things and just squeaked in. And uh, luckily, there was no outbreaks on set. Um, yeah. Why was it important for you to film the South Korea portion actually in South Korea? You know, there are a lot of films that would have just tried to fake it, you know, somewhere, you know, s somewhere in the interior or something. You'd be like, eh, it's close enough. You know, what yeah. what, what did filming in, in Korea? I mean, and I say, say like, it def I, fe I felt that it added a lot mm -hmm. you know i and i what i loved about it was that i felt like because often these coming of age, you know coming of age stories or immigrant stories we don't get to go and see where people are from you yeah. know uh so it was wonderful to see that but I'm, I'm just wondering why for you it was it was so important to do so well from day one i told everyone on our team i said there are three things that i will not compromise on so don't even bother bringing it up to me because you know the answer. It's A, we're shooting on 16 millimeter film. B, uh, Korean characters will be played by Korean people. Mm. And th lastly, the, the scenes that take place in Korea will be shot in Korea. Why those were important, especially the second and the third one, is because the film has to do with our culture, our people. Um, and I just didn't feel, I felt like if we faked any of it, it would lose the, 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 the intangibles mm. of art. Um, mm. There is a reason why you look at a digital photograph opposed to a film photograph from actually from the nineties or the eighties or the seventies. And you feel something different. You can't mm -hmm. say one is technically better than the other. You can't say one looks better than the other, but if they, you can't deny the fact that they feel different mm -hmm. and it's, it's all the intangible things that go into it. And so same with photographing the scenes in Korea, I felt it has to be as authentic and honest as possible. And because what that storyline is based on is largely do you know uh, uh, based on my own personal experiences of going to that area, going to those those places, because that town that we filmed in is actually where my grandfather was born and raised, and wow. that that town goes back. My grandfather was the thirteenth generation to inhabit that part of the country. Wow. Amazing. And so when we go, when we went there, you know, all these, all these, you know, elderly people that live there still, they come say hi. And, you know, we would 
you know, they say like, what are you people doing here? You know, it's all these foreigners showing up with cameras and stuff. So then, you know, I explain, I, you know, I'm so-and-so. And then it turns out, oh, they go like, oh, I'm your grandfather's second cousin or, you know. Wow. You know, and so everybody in that town is still related. Um, and then that, you know, the gravesite at the end, that's my great-grandfather's gravesite. Oh, Anthony. Wow. So it isn't just like a mound of oh. dirt that we just threw together and, you know, put a bunch of props and try to fake it. Yeah. Although that could have looked fine and the average person would never really know the difference. But I do believe that having those real places where there's an emotional connection to the space and everybody that's there filming, they all knew what that space meant to me. They all they all knew where they were and they all respected it. Mm. And they all had had appreciation and and um and a deep sort of respect for what we were all doing in the yeah. space that we were doing it at and so i think that kind of stuff just really bleeds in bleeds into the film in ways that you can't really manufacture mm. and i do believe that because you know this some people criticize certain aspects about the film and i and i go but that's so even if they're right, I go, when it comes to like plot or, you mm -hmm. know, it's just not enough for certain people. And I go, but that's okay because it's not, it's not supposed to be about that. It's supposed to be about the, it's about, it's about the, the, the deeper, quieter moments. Yeah. It's about the behavior. It's about the people's relationship to their environment and the space that they're inhabiting. Yeah. And so that's why it was so important. And mm -hmm. I, and, and, you know, like smartest thing we did as hard as it was to go shoot there. I think that adds a certain, just takes the film to the story to another sort of level, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Congratulations again on the big win, wins, but really the big win at TIFF. Thank you. Um, what, did the, what does that award mean to you? It, for me, For me personally, it's 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 encouragement. Yeah, you know, it, it, I've been in this industry for twenty years now, and I have faced more rejections and heard more no's than really any person need should hear in their life. Mm. And I'm not the only one. There are so many of us in this industry that that deal with constant rejection, and it and it really does take a toll on your psyche, on your confidence as a person and as a professional. I didn't know even after I made this film, if this was something that I was, you know, ever going to be good at, or, you know, felt like I could, I should pursue or had a right to pursue. Mm. Um, and so if nothing else, it gave me confidence to be able to go, okay, I, I think I, I think I should keep going. I think I should keep, devoting myself to this, to this craft. Um, but, but the biggest thing about it, um, is how proud, proud my family is, mm. you know, they've had to defend me to so many people over the years who thought I was a loser. Mm. Um, and it was just a failure. You know, and I'm sure a lot of people in our film industry can relate to this. Of, you know, when when you say you you love something like acting or filmmaking or directing, and something you you know you believe you can be successful at it, most people are going to think that you're out of your mind, and most people are going to believe that you're not going to succeed. Hmm. And I, that was the case for me. I you know I got into my 30s and mid 30s and. People going like, when's he going to wake up and finally realize he needs to, you know, get a real job instead of, you know, writing these silly scripts. And my mom and my sister in particular, they just, you know, they, in front of me, you know, and without my knowledge, they defended me to everyone said like, he's going to be, you know, he's going to do it. Like he's going to, he's good at what he does. He loves what he does. He has a right to do what he does. Um, and then 
Because now it's I'm validated by certain people's eyes that, you know, those who care about these types of things go, oh, wow, he must actually be good at this thing because somebody said, you know, you're valid, you're you're worthy of an award. Mm -hmm. Nothing has changed. I am who I am. I love what I do as much as ever, you know, before and after the award. It's all the same, but it's all the other people who now see that I've been validated, allow my mom and sister to be able to hold hold their heads up high and go, see, we were right. Yeah. And so that feels good. That's what it means to me, mostly. Yeah. So between daughter and Royce Boy Sleeps, both of which have like, I, I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> my, my listeners can't see this, but I'm doing this. Like, it's like an emotional turning gesture yeah. here, you know, it's like you're going to vomit. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually I cried yeah. so much at daughter that yeah. I, at the end, and I saw it twice. I saw it before the screening, but the experience you, of, yeah. of seeing it with everybody, like it was such yeah. a, a, a cathartic, emotionally churning, heaving experience, you know, that I'm really grateful that I had. But yeah, it was a mess at the end of that one. Very similar kind of experience with Rice Boy Sleeps, although so joyful and empowering uh, as well. So now, l- looking at those and then looking to the future, like what what is an Anthony Shim film? You know, and and what do these films tell us about the stories that you would like to tell moving forward? Oh yeah, um, hmm. Uh, I think. I mean, I, there's so many ways I'd like to answer it, this, but I, ultimately, I think it's what my curiosity take. It's where my curiosity takes me, hmm. and I find that. My curiosity often takes me to places where it's people, like real people in our world, in our society, um, that movies or you know mainstream media does not often highlight in a in an honest way. Mm. Um, I wanted to tell a story about for whatever reason. I wanted to tell a story about you know, a grieving mother and father that after, you know, after the the, the shock of it is gone, you know, the, the, the quiet, ugly, sad moments of dealing with a loss like that because no one talks about those people hmm. um, and no one talks about the really ugly ways that people cope with heartbreak and grief and loss. Um, and no one... You know, I've never seen, I wanted to tell a story about a, a a single immigrant mother who barely speaks much English, who's working a, you know, pretty rough job and show, and show how heroic that person can be, show that, you know, this person that we, these people that we walk by every day and probably don't think twice about that, you know, behind their, you know, beyond the surface of what you see, there's so much courage and sacrifice and love that these people have and so you know it's those types of people that i'm that i that i'm really attracted to Mm. um and so there's enough people making movies about vampires and superheroes and robots (laughs) and you know cute animals like that's fine those stories are important and there are people who are very passionate about those types of stories I feel like some, you know, I, if I am privileged enough to make movies that if people are going to rally around whatever story that I come up with, then I feel like I have an, uh, a responsibility to those that I am exposed to. Yeah. You know, whose voices, whose feelings and whose laughter and pain that I feel that I got to represent those stories. So you know, so far they've resulted in stories that are a little, you know, resulted in people crying at the end of the film. Uh-huh. I wonder if there are no, people be like, yeah. oh, another Anthony Shim film, or they see you walking, and then they're like you're walking towards them, and then they're completely triggered and just I, start like, I'm associating with that. I keep, I keep saying, like, <laughs> I didn't think this movie was going to be so sad. I, I That was not my intention. 
it was my intention was just to tell a story of a mother and son in the most honest way possible. Yeah, it's I mean, there's it, it's sad, but it's not. I mean, it's emotional. It's an emotional film, yes, right? Yes. But there are there's moments of joy. There's moments of rage. There's moments of WTF. You know, it's uh, yeah. I, I just I cannot wait to see what you do next. And I also can't wait for Vancouver to get to see this film. Uh, yes. That's good. And to talk to people, you know, after they've had a chance to see it at the screenings, what kind of conversations would you like to inspire in your audiences? You know, like, or while you're standing in the lobby or, you know, talking to Nicola after the film, you know, hearing all the conversations around you, you know, what, what would you like to hear people talking about? What kind of emotions would you like them to have or questions would you like them to be asking themselves or others? Yeah, I, I, I suppose the, the hope is that people who have ever felt like an outsider or a foreigner or um, left out that, you know, that they can, they, they can engage in conversation with whether it be their parents or siblings or teachers or whoever else, grandparents and, and, and try and understand their own background, their own heritage and their own identities a little better and, and, and be proud of it, you know, and that we don't have to, just try and fit in with everyone else, but that, you know, that you can find your own tribe by being truly who you are. Mm. Um, and it was actually really intense after, after the first TIFF screening, um, in particular, the first one, I, I had a lot of people who, and not just Asian people either, a lot of young people. Um, there's one young lady from Australia who had moved from Australia to Toronto and she was so emotional and, uh, and she wasn't trying, she wasn't just coming up to me and just be like, let me just throw my baggage on you. It was just, she just wanted to come by and just let me know how much she related to the story and, and appreciated it. And, and that conversation just led to her just being incredibly emotional. And it felt to me like it wasn't just, it wasn't just, Oh, I'm sad because it reminds me of X, Y, and Z. It was more so just, there were feelings and there were ideas and thoughts that this person I, I don't think had really ever looked at. Yeah. So it was opening up these, these, these things that they just kind of kept bottled up inside. Um, yeah. And there were several people like that, several young people who came up to me and who were very emotional and, and it, you know, and it was amazing. It was amazing. I, I wasn't about to be like, get away. This is too much for me, but it was, mm. it was like, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, this is what it's about and, and, and keep digging, keep asking yourself these questions. And, um, and so I hope there is more of it, um, whether it's directly to me or just, you know, amongst one another. Yeah. Yeah. That's the goal. I, that's the hope. Uh, you're doing it. You're absolutely doing it. And, uh, I, I don't know if I'm able to make this, the screenings, but I definitely want to try to figure out a way even just to be there in the lobby you, to talk you to people gotta you see know? It on the big screen. Sabrina. I know you I got to have that experience yeah. of seeing it on the, on the big screen. It has been an absolute honor hosting you today, Anthony, where can our fans find you and follow you and celebrate you on social media and follow the journey of this film? Because this is this, this film I can, I, I can tell already it's going to be going on quite a, it's already been on a beautiful journey and it's going to, it's going to go all over. Well, yeah, I mean, we'll be, we'll be around the films traveling around quite a bit. I, 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 I'm just bouncing around for the next six months, city to city, um, promoting this movie. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's currently playing in Calgary right now. Um, uh, I, I can't name too many other festivals, but, yeah. uh, we're playing on the 30th at the Vancouver Playhouse and the third at the Rio um, information is on the, the VIF website. Um, people can follow the film on the rice boy sleeps film Instagram page. Okay. Yeah. We have an Instagram page and, and, and there's constant updates about, you know, screening and whatnot. And then, um, People can follow me on Instagram, but you know, I'm not the most exciting person to follow on Instagram. So 
I'm not <laughs> do even you a have, Do you have animal content there? You, you said you're uh, you were, when you're in Korea, you were staying with a couple of cats, you know, and you have a dog like I, maybe know. I should. Maybe I should start posting pictures of cats. Um, the People cats that I those. live with. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's out there to my Instagram page. OK, as bad as that one is. Um, and then <laughs> after Viv. We will be playing in Vancouver again in the future. Um, okay. uh, we will be having a theatrical run. So um, it'll be in one of the theaters somewhere at some point later this year. Excellent. Okay. And I'll have links to to everything that you've mentioned in the footnotes oh, for you. this episode. All right. Well, thank you, Anthony. Uh, to reiterate, Rice Boy Sleeps screens at the 2022 Vancouver International Film Festival. You can visit vif.org for tickets, for screening times, and information about how to access all of their screenings. They also have some online ones for certain films as well. Thank you. And thank you. Thank you, listeners. Please like, subscribe, leave us a review if you are so inclined. That was find even more listeners and we can keep having conversations like the incredibly rad one that we had today. You can find us at www.yvrscreenscene.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at YVRScreenScene and at SabrinaArf. YVR Screen Scene Podcast is hosted and executive produced by me, Sabrina Rani Mera Furminger, and it's edited by Simon Furminger. Special thanks to Mariana Furminger for recording our Patreon ad, to Paul Furminger for te- technical support, and to Dane, not Furminger, Dabalay for the original music. YVR Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And cut. Hey, filmmakers. Did you know that you can hire top quality, experienced, and professional actors for your films? If you're producing a student film for course credits, working on a web series, a short or a feature film, you can afford to have some of the best talent in the business in your production. How, you ask? Well, UBCP Actor has an ultra-low budget program, which offers a range of options that cover everything from student films to productions with a $300,000 budget. There is a ULB program that will meet your needs, regardless of your budget. To learn more, visit ubcpactor.ca and look for ultra-low budget programs or email ulbprogram at ubcpactra.ca. Now is the time to jumpstart your dream for the screen.